Welcome to another in-depth exploration of the book of Jeremiah. Written by Imray Tokic, Ph.D., LLD. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 7. The Crisis Continues. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, New King James Version. The travails and trials of God's servant continue. In fact, pretty much all of the book of Jeremiah deals with the challenges and struggles the prophet had in trying to get the people to listen to the words that the Lord was seeking to convey to them out of love and concern. Imagine what would have happened if the people had listened to Jeremiah and had accepted the prophet's warning. If they had listened, if the people, the kings, and the leaders had humbled themselves before God, the terrible crisis would not have come. The chance for repentance was before them. Even after they had done so much wrong, so much evil, the door to redemption and salvation had not closed. The door stood open. They simply refused to walk through it. Again, it's so easy for us today to shake our heads at the hardness of their hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, in the New Living Translation, reminds us, These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. We have their example before us. The question is, what will we learn from them? Let him who boasts. In Jeremiah chapter 9, the prophet began his lamentation because he saw the inevitable catastrophe coming to his country and people. God pronounced judgment over Jerusalem, and when God says something, he does it. What they would face wasn't something fortuitous, not just one of those terrible and inexplicable things that happened from time to time. No, what they would face was going to be the direct judgment of God. And it was this realization that was causing Jeremiah such sorrow. His sorrow, though, was only a small reflection of the pain that God must have felt. Though the context is different, this quote captures the idea so well. 
The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that, from its very inception, sin has brought to the heart of God. Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. When there came upon Israel the calamities that were the sure result of separation from God, subjugation by their enemies, cruelty, and death, it is said that his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Judges 10, 16, and Isaiah 63, verse 9. That quotation is from the book entitled Education, on page 263, by Ellen G. White. Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 9, the prophet's sorrowful lament. Listen especially to verse 23 and 24. Why are these words so relevant today? If only my head were a pool of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night for all my people who have been slaughtered. Oh, that I could go away and forget my people, and live in a traveler's shack in the desert, for they are all adulterers, a pack of treacherous liars. Judgment for disobedience. My people bend their tongues like bows to shoot out lies. They refuse to stand up for the truth. They only go from bad to worse. They do not know me, says the Lord. Beware of your neighbor. Don't even trust your brother. For brother takes advantage of brother, and friend slanders friend. They all fool and defraud each other. No one tells the truth. With practiced tongues, they tell lies. They wear themselves out with all their sinning. They pile lie upon lie, and utterly refuse to acknowledge me, says the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. See, I will melt them down in a crucible and test them like metal. What else can I do with my people? For their tongues shoot lies like poisoned arrows. They speak friendly words to their neighbors while scheming in their heart to kill them. Should I not punish them for this, says the Lord? Should I not avenge myself against such a nation? I will weep for the mountains and wail for the wilderness pastures, for they are desolate and empty of life. The lowing of cattle is heard no more. The birds and wild animals have all fled. I will make Jerusalem into a heap of ruins, says the Lord. It will be a place haunted by jackals. The towns of Judah will be ghost towns with no one living in them. Who is wise enough to understand all this? 
who has been instructed by the Lord and can explain it to others? Why has the land been so ruined that no one dares to travel through it? The Lord replies, This has happened because my people have abandoned my instructions. They have refused to obey what I said. Instead, they have stubbornly followed their own desires and worshipped the images of Baal as their ancestors taught them. So now, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Look, I will feed them with bitterness and give them poison to drink. I will scatter them around the world in places they and their ancestors never heard of. And even there, I will chase them with a sword until I have destroyed them completely. Weeping in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Consider all this and call for the mourners. Send for the women who mourn at funerals. Quick, begin your weeping. Let the tears flow from your eyes. Hear the people of Jerusalem crying in despair. We are ruined. We are completely humiliated. We must leave our land because our homes have been torn down. Listen, you women, to the words of the Lord. Open your ears to what he has to say. Teach your daughters to wail. Teach one another how to lament. For death has crept in through our windows and has entered our mansions. It has killed off the flower of our youth. Children no longer play in the streets, and young men no longer gather in the squares. This is what the Lord says. Bodies will be scattered across the fields like clumps of manure, like bundles of grain after the harvest. No one will be left to bury them. Now we are at verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. Verse 24. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. A time is coming, says the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised in body, but not in spirit. The Egyptians, Edomites, Ammonites, Moabites, the people who live in the desert in remote places, and yes, even the people of Judah. And like all these pagan nations, the people of Israel also have uncircumcised hearts. It has been said that when it comes to death, we are all like an unwalled city. Wisdom, might, and riches all have their place. 
But to rely on these things, especially amid catastrophe or when death looms, is fruitless, meaningless, and empty. Amid all the warnings about the doom, the people are told what really matters, and that is to know and to understand for oneself, at least to the degree that we can, the loving kindness, the justice, and the righteousness of God. What else is there? What else alone can give us hope and comfort when everything earthly, everything human, including our own flesh, fails us? What does the cross tell us about the loving kindness, the justice, and the righteousness of God? Creatures or the Creator As we have seen already, God's people, the Israelites, had been called out to be different from the nations around them, which were all steeped in paganism, idolatry, and false teachings. So many of the warnings in the first five books of Moses were especially against following the practices of their neighbors. Instead, the Israelites were to be witnesses to the world of the truth about the Lord as Creator and Redeemer. Unfortunately, so much of Old Testament history is the story of how they were often lured into the very practices that they were warned against. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. What is the Lord telling His people? If this same warning were given today, in our time and culture and context, how might it be spoken? Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Idolatry brings destruction. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not act like the other nations who try to read their future in the stars. Do not be afraid of their predictions, even though other nations are terrified by them. Their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver and then fasten it securely with hammer and nails so it won't fall over. Their gods are like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak, and they need to be carried because they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of such gods, for they can neither harm you nor do you any good. Lord, there is no one like you, for you are great and your name is full of power. Who would not fear you, O King of Nations? That title belongs to you alone, among all the wise people of the earth, and in all the kingdoms of the world, there is no one like you. People who worship idols 
are stupid and foolish. The things they worship are made of wood. They bring beaten sheets of silver from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz. And they give these materials to skillful craftsmen who make their idols. Then they dress these gods in royal blue and purple robes made by expert tailors. But the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at His anger. The nations cannot stand up to His wrath. Say to those who worship other gods, Your so-called gods who did not make the heavens and earth will vanish from the earth and from under the heavens. But the Lord made the earth by His power, and He preserves it by His wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. When he speaks in the thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and releases the wind from his storehouses. The whole human race is foolish and has no knowledge. The craftsmen are disgraced by the idols they make, for their carefully shaped works are a fraud. These idols have no breath or power. Idols are worthless. They are ridiculous lies. On the day of reckoning, they will all be destroyed. Jeremiah is telling the people what they should have already known. These pagan gods are nothing but human creations, figments of people's own demonically warped imaginations. This is a prime example of what Paul, writing centuries later, meant when he wrote about those who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. Notice how Paul contrasts the creation and the creator in that verse. This same contrast is presented in these verses in Jeremiah, which talk about the impotence and weakness of their false gods in contrast to the true one. All through these texts, Jeremiah is trying to show the people how foolish and silly it is to put their trust in these things, which are incapable of doing anything. All this, in contrast to the Creator God, who not only created the world, but sustains it by His power, as stated in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. However ancient these texts, the message is still so relevant. We might not be tempted to bow down and worship man-made statues, 
nor are most of us dismayed or worried about the signs in the heavens. Instead, though, it's still so easy to put our trust in these things that can no more save us than these idols could save Judea on the Day of Judgment. Think introspectively. What are some things that, if you are not careful, you tend to trust? Repentance. Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 6. What hope is the Lord offering the people here? This message came to Jeremiah from the Lord early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. This is what the Lord says Stand in the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord and make an announcement to the people who have come there to worship from all over Judah. Give them my entire message. Include every word. Perhaps they will listen and turn from their evil ways. Then I will change my mind about the disaster I am ready to pour out on them because of their sins. Say to them, This is what the Lord says. If you will not listen to me and obey my word I have given you, and if you will not listen to my servants, the prophets, for I sent them again and again to warn you, but you would not listen to them, then I will destroy this temple as I destroyed Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle was located. And I will make Jerusalem an object of cursing in every nation on earth. The message was the same as the message all through the Bible, Old and New Testament, and that is the call to repentance, to turn away from our sin and find the salvation that God offers to all. What is the message of the following five texts? 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 37 through 39. But in that land of exile, they might turn to you in repentance and pray, We have sinned, done evil, and acted wickedly. If they turn to you with their whole heart, and soul in the land of their captivity, and pray toward the land you gave to their ancestors, toward this city you have chosen, and toward this temple I have built to honor your name. Then hear their prayers and their petitions from heaven, where you live, and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 6. 
Therefore tell the people of Israel, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. The inhabitants of Judah were all undeserving, yet God would not give them up. By them his name was to be exalted among the heathen. Many who were wholly unacquainted with his attributes were yet to behold the glory of the divine character. It was for the purpose of making plain his merciful designs that he kept sending his servants, the prophets, with the message, Turn ye again now everyone from his evil way. Jeremiah 25.5 For my name's sake, he declared through Isaiah, Will I defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. Isaiah 48, verses 9 and 11. Another encouraging insight from the book, Prophets and Kings, on page 319, by Ellen G. White. Old Testament, New Testament. In the end, the message of God is the same to all of us. We are sinners. We have done wrong. We deserve punishment. But through the cross of Christ, through the atoning death of Jesus, God has made a way for all of us to be saved. We need to acknowledge our sinfulness. We need to claim by faith the merits of Jesus, which are freely given us, despite our unworthiness. And we need to repent of our sins. And of course, true repentance includes putting sin out of our lives by the grace of of God. No matter what we have done, we can repent of our sins and be forgiven them. This is the great provision of the gospel. What sins do you need to repent of right now?
call for death. From our perspective, it's hard to believe the hardness of the hearts of the people. As we heard in the previous section, Jeremiah's message, however strong, was still filled with hope. If the people repented, God would avert the horrific punishments that, based on the covenant promises and curses, would come upon them. If only they would do what they were supposed to do. If only they would obey God and obtain the blessing that obedience would bring, then all would be well. God would forgive. God would heal. God would restore. The gospel provision, which would eventually come through the sacrifice of Jesus, would be enough to forgive all their sins and restore the people. What a message of hope, of promise, of salvation. What was the response to Jeremiah and this message? Jeremiah chapter 26, verses 10 and 11, reports their reaction. When the officials of Judah heard what was happening, they rushed over from the palace and sat down at the new gate of the temple to hold court. The priests and prophets presented their accusations to the officials and the people. This man should die, they said. You have heard with your own ears what a traitor he is, for he has prophesied against this city. In Israel, only a legally assembled court could pass a death sentence. Only a majority vote of the judges was acceptable for the death sentence. The priests and the prophets prosecuted Jeremiah with their deadly accusations. Those opposed to him wanted to present him as a political criminal and as a traitor. What was Jeremiah's response? Jeremiah chapter 26, verses 13 through 15. But if you stop your sinning, and begin to obey the Lord your God, he will change his mind about this disaster that he has announced against you. As for me, I am in your hands. Do with me as you think best. But if you kill me, rest assured that you will be killing an innocent man. The responsibility for such a deed will lie on you, on this city, and on every person living in it. For it is absolutely true that the Lord sent me to speak every word you have heard. Jeremiah didn't back down at all. With the threat of death before him, the prophet, no doubt in some fear, nevertheless did not soften a single word of the message that he had been given by the Lord, who specially warned him at the start not to hold back 
a word. Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 2. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord and make an announcement to the people who have come there to worship from all over Judah. Give them my entire message. Include every word. So, in contrast to the Jeremiah who at times was whining, complaining, and cursing the day of his birth, we see him now as a man of God who is standing faithfully and with conviction. When was the last time you had to stand faithfully at a personal cost to yourself for the truth as it is in Jesus? If you never had to do that, what might that indicate? Jeremiah's Escape As we heard in the previous section, whatever his fears, whatever his own emotions, Jeremiah stood firm, fully aware of the potential death that his stance could bring him. As Jeremiah chapter 26.15 documents, he warned the princes and the people very clearly, Know for certain, he said, that if they killed him, they would face punishment for spilling innocent blood. Jeremiah knew that he was not guilty of the charges against him. Did Jeremiah escape death? How? Jeremiah, chapter 26, verses 16 through 24, gives all the details. Then the officials and the people said to the priests and prophets, This man does not deserve the death sentence, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then some of the wise old men stood and spoke to all the people assembled there. They said, Remember when Micah of Moresheth prophesied during the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah? He told the people of Judah. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field. Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. A thicket will grow on the heights where the temple now stands. But did King Hezekiah and the people kill him for saying this? No, they turned from their sins and worshipped the Lord. They begged him for mercy. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had pronounced against them. So we are about to do ourselves great harm. At this time, Uriah, son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim, was also prophesying for the Lord. And he predicted the same terrible disaster against the city and nation as Jeremiah did. When King Jehoiakim and the army officers and officials 
heard what he was saying, the king sent someone to kill him. But Uriah heard about the plan and escaped in fear to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent Elnathan, son of Achbor, to Egypt, along with several other men, to capture Uriah. They took him prisoner and brought him back to King Jehoiakim. The king then killed Uriah with a sword and had him buried in an unmarked grave. Nevertheless, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, stood up for Jeremiah and persuaded the court not to turn him over to the mob to be killed. How fascinating that the priests and the prophets, the ones who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders, had to be rebuked and challenged by mere elders and regular people who came forward in defense of Jeremiah. They brought up the memory of Micah, who had lived a century before Jeremiah in Israel. The king then did not hurt Micah, but listened to his advice. The whole nation repented, and disaster was averted, at least for a time. Now these people in Jeremiah's day were wiser than their leaders, wanted to spare the nation from making a big mistake by putting a prophet of God to death. The acquittal emphasized that Jeremiah was not guilty of those things he was accused of. However, the priests and prophets' hatred became stronger. Anger and the desire for revenge rose in them, so that at another time they would pounce on Jeremiah with their full fury. His release meant only a moment of ease for the prophet. He was not completely out of danger. What we can have is an example of how some people learned lessons from history, while others, knowing the same history, refused to learn the same lessons. Something similar centuries later, with the Pharisee Gamaliel and his caution to other leaders concerning how to handle the followers of Jesus. Listen to Acts chapter 5, verses 34 through 41. As you listen, keep this question in mind. What parallels do you think of with what happened to Jeremiah? But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thaddeus, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. 
let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Let's continue exploring. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. No doubt we can look around in nature, in human relationships, and in the marvels of the creation itself, and get a view of God's love, however much sin has damaged that creation as well as our ability to appreciate or even read it correctly. But at the cross, veils were torn off, and the world was given the starkest and sharpest revelation possible of that love, a love so great that it led to what Ellen G. White called the sundering of the divine powers. You can read her comment in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 924. The sundering of the divine powers? So great was God's love for us that the Godhead, whose members loved each other from eternity, endured this sundering in order to redeem us. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, is the clearest and the most powerful expression of that sundering of what it costs to save us. Here, we can again see the pain and suffering the Lord has endured because of our sin. No wonder, then, that we love because he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, New International Version. Of course, as fallen humans, we only imitate that love. And even that imitation is often warped by our own selfishness and sinful desires. God's love transcends ours. We reflect God's love the way an oily mud puddle reflects the sky. Here are three points to ponder and questions to consider. 
Though many of us today don't worship animals or things in nature the way the ancients did, in what ways are you still in danger of making an idol or a god out of nature itself? What is the role of repentance in the life of a Christian? That is, outside of one's initial repentance in the course of first accepting Jesus, what role does repentance continue to have in the life of faith? Try to wrap your mind around the idea of the sundering of the divine powers. How do you understand this? If nothing else, what does this tell you about just how deadly and costly sin is? ambassadorgroup.org Thank you for exploring with us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.